Welcome back, Gemmers. Thank you so much for listening to another segment here on Gems Podcast. With me today is Charles Price, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about who Charles is, and then we're going to dive into an amazing segment that you definitely want to be in on wholeheartedly. So Charles S. Price is a civil litigator with the law firm Dickinson Wright in Phoenix, as well as what he called a rewiring coach for lawyers and other professionals. He has practiced law for more than 40 years, and he is listed in the current edition of Who's Who in American Law. Mr. Price has been recognized by Arizona Business Leaders Magazine as one of the five most influential commercial litigators in Arizona. He is also the author of Rewiring the White Collar Mind. Jack Canfield, the co-author of the famous Chicken Soup for the Soul series, says, I love this book. If you're feeling overwhelmed and unhappy, you need this book. So without further ado, let's welcome the man behind it all, Mr. Charles Price. Hi, Genesis. Great to be here. Thank you so much, Charles, for sharing and holding space with me. I definitely want to get you connected with the audience in a fun and personal manner. So are you in the mood for a rapid fire 10 question game or an icebreaker? So I'm a little conflicted on this because I haven't heard anybody pick the um, icebreaker. So I'm a little curious about that, but I love your song on, on the, on the uh, rapid fire. So let's do rapid fire. I'll make that my ringtone. Okay, here we go, y'all. I'm going to try to deal with my voice since it's not all the way there yet. We're playing rapid fire with Genesis and Charles. Do, 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 do. Question numero uno. Nailed it. Love it. <laughs> Charles, what made you get into law? My grandfather had a letter from me when I was 12 years old um, where I told him that I wanted to be a lawyer at that young age. So obviously it was something that was in me for a long time. Your motivations change over your lifetime, obviously, but I think it was something about the life of the mind that attracted me. Question two. When you decided to go into law, was there one particular area that you were focused on or were you just going merely to understand various areas before zoning in? No, I knew I wanted to be a courtroom lawyer and that's what I've been. Question three, what is your drink of choice? Coffee, tea, or something else? Um, at this point, I drink decaf coffee. I've weaned myself off of coffee. Mm, okay. Question four, if you had the opportunity to trade places with anyone for 24 to 72 hours, who would it be and why? I would trade places with Winston Churchill at the height of World War II. I just think he's a tremendously interesting historical figure. Question five, what is your happy place currently? I do love to be at the beach. I grew up in Huntington Beach, and that feels like going home to me. Okay. I haven't been there, so SoCal, Southern California. Yeah, highly recommended. Question six here. Okay, what is your musical genre of choice? Well, I'm a professional blues harmonica player, so that that tells you. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a fun fact. <laughs> Question seven. You get three random acts of kindness 
per day, but they're not your limit. So what are your three that you're going to do today for someone else? Okay, let's see. Um, I like living, leaving big tips where um, that's appropriate. I like just paying attention to people. I think that's overlooked. We really need to connect with uh, everybody. And I like writing notes of appreciation. Okay, I like that. So leaving big tips, paying attention, and notes of appreciation. Hashtag love that sticks. <laughs> Question eight. For anyone listening that has never been to Arizona, what's one popular attraction there? Boy, it's a really wonderful state to visit. The Grand Canyon, everybody knows about. Sedona is a wonderful little town, but we've got little hidden gems all over the state. Okay. Question nine. What is your favorite food? Um, I'm on a plant-based diet for reasons I'll explore if you'd like, but right now my favorite food is almost everything I can't have. So <laughs> I'm kind of dying for a steak. <laughs> and question 10, it is our pass or play question. And here are the rules. If you pass, our roles are reversed and you ask me a question. If you play, I ask one last question to wrap up rapid fire. So are you passing or playing? I'll play. Okay, last question. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Compassion. I just, um, I try to be a compassionate person. Um, I think there are challenges for that for everybody. And if I could be completely compassionate, that would just be lovely. That is amazing. And thank you so much for sharing that. No one has shared compassion so far. So that is amazing. Audience, I hope you learned a little bit more about Charles Price, and now we're going to dive into the work that he's doing today. And I love the name of your book um, and you calling yourself the rewiring coach for lawyers, because I feel like whether you're a lawyer or not, we could all rewire our mindset and change our vantage points and look at things from various perspectives because it'll help us learn more about ourselves internally and externally. So what made you focus on becoming a rewiring coach? And what does that mean? So I realized as I looked at my own um, background and education and my training that uh, I was being um, very strongly wired by my environment, uh, but in ways that I wasn't always aware of. And when I talk to law students, I remind them, I say, think about how you're learning in law school. You're learning to study precedent, which is looking backwards, and you're learning to strategize, which is looking forward, but you're never taught to live right now. You're never taught to be present and mindful and absorbed in the present moment, to take only one example. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that most of the things that were teaching us to be professionally successful were also incentivizing us to be personally miserable. And I thought, I really need to re rewire that. And after many years, if not decades of doing that, I, I said, there's a book here and an important message for my fellow lawyers and other professionals. And then... Um... Helping them rewire and be present in the now versus looking back at the past, looking too far into the future and just really connecting with where they are, what are they doing, how are they making a difference and et cetera. What are some of the challenges that you've ran into sharing this with other lawyers? What are some of the pushbacks, if any? Great. 
Great question, Genesis. Um, I actually had a very experienced lawyer, very successful lawyer, good friend of mine, and I was kind of given this sort of message to him. And, and he said to me, well, we didn't sign up to be happy. And I said to him, well, I guess, but I didn't sign up to be miserable. And it seems to me that there's this kind of hidden bargain where we'll give you all of this you know, worldly success and so on. You just have to promise to be miserable and not present. And I said, you know, if somebody wants to make that deal, that's fine. But I didn't make that deal. I don't want it. I want a new deal. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, did you go deeper without sharing too much like confidential stuff here? If there was any, why did you, why, I wonder why did he feel like we didn't sign up to be happy? Because I'm sure we're all human beings and we should be happy, especially if we spend our time at work eight, 10, 12 hours a day. And then you go home to your family. No one wants you to come home grumpy. Well, that's such an important point, Genesis. Um, and in, in his case, I think what he was saying is he was just resigned to the fact that he couldn't have everything he wanted professionally and still have a contented, balanced life. Um, so it was sort of like he had this dichotomy in his mind where he had to pick one or the other. But the last thing you said about going home to the family and being tired, miserable, or even thinking about what clients want, you know, this this notion that we have to be the long suffering professionals and, you know, put in these, you know, extreme hours and just be depressed and miserable. I point out in the book, that's not what our clients want. If I go to a doctor, I don't want somebody who's stressed out and overworked and so on. I want them completely present and there for me. And that's, I, there's a chapter in the book called, would I hire myself? Uh, what kind of lawyer or other professional are people really looking for? And that really kind of changed my mindset about how I should be leading my life. And I'm glad you elaborated on that because too, whenever I think about rewiring from my perspective, you have to rewire internally as well as externally, because if you do all the work um, to fix yourself inwardly, but you're not showing up that way externally for others to see you, then I feel like you're missing the mark there because your body language, your tone, how you present yourself, how you dress, all of that could be a part of rewiring for you to be uniquely you. So how can this be translated, not just for lawyers, but anyone in the professional professional world to just rewire themselves completely and holistically? Oh boy, what a great question. And, and what I've found is that in this process of rewiring myself, rewiring the white collar mind, as I called it, um, the, the big question that comes up for professionals is, Am I going to turn into something that I don't like on the professional side? And what I found is that I'm much more present with people. I'm much less attached to things that I can't control. I enjoy the present moment and the legal teams that I lead tend to be pretty lighthearted and we kind of enjoy, you know, things as we go along as much as we can. And I've found that I'm not, I not only enjoy my job more, but I think I'm much more effective than I was 30 years ago. Wow. And you've been practicing for 40 years. And then you said you're much more happier than you were 30 years ago. So there's like that 10 year ish buffer between there. Um, not just putting everything in exact, but one of the things that you said a few minutes ago is the white collar mind. So what exactly do you mean by the white collar mind? 
So what I talk about in the book are really universal human concerns. Everyone struggles with being present and compassionate and um, expressing gratitude and so on. So there's nothing in there that's unique as a goal for professionals. But I think professionals have a unique challenge in getting to those things because the point of the book is so many of our professional incentives teach us directly away from those things. We're taught to be very self-absorbed, materialistic, outer directed. Uh, and I, I set out kind of a template. I have a workbook that goes with the book as well. Just how do we rewire that so that we can be both professionally successful, but not self-absorbed jerks, if you will. <laughs> I would also say in modern day society too, I think social media can also have a factor to play into the aspect with rewiring and with people trying to show up for who they are because sometimes television or things around us is prompting us to what we should be or how we should show up when in actuality that's taking a, away a part of who we are, the uniqueness and the authenticity. Would you agree with that sentiment? 100%. I think all of us struggle with social media and TV and movies and popular culture. And I would hope, first of all, I think this, everybody can appreciate something in the book. I, I truly believe I it was targeted to my fellow professionals. I think there's something in there for everyone. And I think the messages go beyond just kind of what incentives you get as a professional, because just as you say, we all get these messages from our surrounding culture that are not healthy. They are designed to keep us ungrateful, unbalanced, unhappy, because the people who are advertising to us want us to think that the key to our happiness is whatever they're selling. Um, the people who program the news want us to be in a constant state of agitation. So we'll keep watching. So yes, there's, there's a lot of messaging going on here and none of it's super healthy. So I, I bit off what I could in the book, but there's, there's more to look at for sure. And I like that. And you know what I think too, if I could add here, whenever we think about rewiring and we think about like breaking down old mindsets, old behaviors and et cetera, I think a part of that comes with isolation. Sometimes we need to get alone from the noise, whether it is the external noise and the internal noise and really tap in to just go to the core and rebuild. Do you have any practices that you're helping with professionals break down like their oldness in order for newness to have that transformation and to transition to be who they inspire to be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's important for all of us to be um, very aware of how much time we're spending on our devices of connection, the phone and the TV and the computer, um, and, and just you know, really be careful about that because those take us off into these unhealthy places. Um, and then I really encourage people to look into a meditation practice. That's something that tells you how your mind naturally works. Our minds naturally are sort of skittish and scattered and not present. And we can actually train our minds to be different than that. But it is a conscious process that takes some time. And I would also say not only just separating from the devices to Charles, but also work. Sometimes we could be worker bees and we get so involved in our work that we forget that it's okay to take time off in order to recharge, rejuvenate and refuel. And I feel like in my profession, I was in oil and gas for 12 years and now mm -hmm. I'm in healthcare. 
I feel like sometimes you're conditioned to work, work, work because you're trying to climb the corporate ladder. You're trying to have all the accolades and et cetera. But then you hit that ceiling where you're almost to burn out. And you're like, if I would only have taken, you know, a day off or a week off or whatever the case may be, then I could have recharged myself. But I'm going like the energizer bunny until you like pop. So how can we help professionals see that you have to take time for yourself because that's part of self-care, self-love, and self-awareness in order for you to tap in to really play hard again? Well, you're absolutely right. And sometimes this is called life balance. So I certainly encourage people to be balanced in terms of the amount of time and energy they're spending work versus other aspects of your life. But there's an aspect of work-life balance that I, um, I'm a little uh, that's a little questionable to me. the The message of of so-called work-life balance is that work is bad, the rest of your life is good. You've got to balance them out, uh, and I think inherently. Um, that's going to make you unhappy, at least if, like most of us, you have a job that takes up a lot of your waking hours. And what I um, try to guide people towards is a sense of balance at all times. Uh, and you can be very absorbed in your work, but not burned out if you just practice being present, experiencing all of your emotions, listening carefully to other people, be uh, connected to other people. If your work is not um, uh, totally a chore and miserable, then you you demand less from your the rest of your life to sort of balance that out. That's my that's my overall approach. I like that approach because in there you break it down into different categories that's helping them not be so one-sided, but also multi-dimensional there. And I would also um, want to ask you about community because I think community is important. Like, who are you surrounding yourselves with? And do those people have your same mindset and ethos in order for you to, you know, not just survive, but thrive in the areas you destined to? Yeah, in, in Rewiring the White Collar Mind, I talk, uh, there's a chapter on volunteering. I think that's super important. Um, I've been a, a mentor for a youth group. I did that for many years. Um, and I would, some of my best times in the last two decades have been sitting in the woods of Northern Arizona with, I was sort of in charge of the boys group and just sitting there and sharing thoughts with them and seeing these beautiful um, teenage boys who were, you know, Half an hour ago, they were wrestling with each other and cracking idiotic jokes and so on. And now they're just pouring their hearts out and crying in some cases about what they were missing in their lives or family issues or whatever. Um, it just showed me that there's a universal human hunger for connection and and uh, and sympathy with each other. Uh, and and I, I got way more out of that than the boys did, I'm sure. Wow. And it's just amazing how we could just kind of do other extracurricular activities and how they teach us silver lining lessons that we could take those lessons and apply it into our professionalism. And I feel like as human beings, we need to do more of that so we could be well-rounded in all areas. So thank you for sharing that because I hope that inspires another man to get out and do something similar. Nice. Me too. Another thing I want to ask you about is in your book, you were referred to uh, sloganism. I hope I said that correctly. What is that? 
uh, sloganism. Yes. So um, uh, we so much of life gets boiled down these days uh, into little bumper sticker phrases. And uh, we tend to think in these little categories of this is a good thing. This is a bad thing. And in most scenarios in my life, I find that the the deeper I go, the more satisfying the experience is. What's what's really going on at an emotional level, a spiritual level, a psychological level beneath the words? Because there's, you know, it's like a the words are the tip of the iceberg. And and beneath that is a whole wealth, a, a richness of human experience that the slogans, um, it's sort of like putting a post-it note on a boxcar of experience and you're you're missing most of it. I love that. And I love the iceberg analogy because it made me think about when I was um, taking a psychology class where you kind of see the consciousness and the unconsciousness. But one of the other things that came to my mind when you were talking was if you think about scuba divers, you can't see the beauty of what's beneath the ocean if you stay at the surface level and you don't dive down. So it's almost like are you at the surface and only thinking surface level or are you willing to go beyond the surface in order to see what those gems are? You know, that's there's when you start thinking and talking about these things, Genesis, there's such a, a, a beautiful sort of serendipity that comes into this kind of conversation. You just picked the perfect analogy because one year I was up at Holly Lake in Arizona with my boys group and one of the boys said he was so struck by something I had said the previous year that he'd actually written a song about it. And he played me the song and it was great. Um, and it was about exactly that. I'd said something about um, just the, because your life is has choppy waves on the surface, there's a whole deep ocean beneath that. And you can be in connection with that as well. So it was exactly the same analogy. So I obviously totally agree. That is just amazing there. And um, I'm really big into various musical genres. And there's this one lyric in the song. It said, I think it's Tim McGraw. And it says, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds. Um, and it was like, oh, I breathe sweeter, dot, dot, dot. And just hearing those lyrics and you thinking about where you are in that moment and just getting outside of that moment and really going beyond to really connect the dots because sometimes we allow life to happen to us, but are we allowing it to happen for us, for us to shift gears, for us to change our mindset, for us to dream bigger, for us to really live and just, you know, be all who we were encompassed to be. Because one of the things that I've said early on in my segments is how many times can you talk to a person and ask them, are you really igniting your dreams? And are those dreams reality? Or are you like those who have lost, lost their lives and now those dreams are in the graveyard because they were too afraid to ignite them here on earth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful words, Genesis. And, um, you know, I, music has been a huge part of my life and I really believe in sort of the redemptive, therapeutic healing power of music. Um, people think of the blues as being a sad kind of music. 
to me, it's it's just a very emotional, raw kind of music. And um, you know, I've I've had people come up to me and say that you know, listening to our band play was was literally like an emotional experience because we really work hard to get beyond just the technique of, of playing and get to a really emotional place. So I'm I'm a big fan of particularly live music. There isn't as much now as there as there used to be, and I I love it. Yeah, but the good thing is you could always change that too, Charles. Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> so um, one of the things I want to ask you about, because it was mentioned in your bio, is you um, have this amazing accolade that's five of the most influential people. So what are some of the things that you do to influence people around you? I'm going to talk to the uh, law students at Arizona State University in less than two weeks. And I'm going to try and pack all of this into an hour. I've got a slideshow that I've been working on for several weeks. I love hitting them when they're young. Uh, and and the, the reactions of audiences are different depending on the ages. The the old people, like my generation, say, oh, I wish I'd have heard this you know, 30 years ago. And the young people, you can just see this light go off. And they're like, boy, I, I hadn't thought about that. I really need to be careful about what messages I'm taking in and maybe rewire myself a little bit. And I actually had a lawyer come up to me and say that the hour he spent with listening to me in, in my in a talk in law school was the most important hour he spent in law school. So I'm really trying to reach out to lawyers of all ages. The, the old ones know that they need it. The young ones don't quite know that yet. Um, but as soon as I start talking about these ideas, most people jump on board and say, tell me more. And I think that's just amazing because the young people are hungry to learn more. At least some of them are I'm part of the millennial generation. And, you know, our generation gets a rap because some feel like we're lazy and we don't want to work because of, you know, whatever reasons. But I think just having, you know, the generational gap conversations with, you know, the millennials and the baby boomers or whatever generation you're in that has an age gap. I think there's a lot of wisdom in there because you're learning from them, but they're also learning from you. And you could see like a 360 because one of my guests in the past told me, History doesn't repeat history rhymes. So there's nothing new under the sun. So just to hear that, you know, as a commercial um, litigator, you're one of the five most influential ones in Arizona. You're obviously doing something right that others who are coming behind and besides you could follow suit to. And of course, there's only going to be one Charles Price, but you're laying down the blueprint and you're also helping rewire people. And that just shows compassion. That shows, you know, empathy. That just shows so much more than what a bio and what you could do, because sometimes people only see see you and they may put you on a pedestal, but they may not go deep diving with who you are as an individual at the core. So I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, thank you for saying that, Genesis. And I will say that um, I think I bring something that's maybe a little unusual to the coaching business. And I, I do private coaching um, and would love to hear from anybody that, um, you know, where these these words are resonating. My website is charlespriceesquire.com, charlespriceesq.com. You can leave me a note there. Um, and for, for I, I'm not just a coach that sort of learned how to coach. 
I'm coming out of the profession. I know what the struggles are. I know what the daily life is like. I know how challenging it is. So I think there's some credibility there. I'll also say on the generation side, I've really thought about this a lot because I did not want to go in and talk to these young law students from a position of being condescending or let me tell you how it is. Um, and it seems to me, and I'd like to bounce this off of you, that what we're really seeing from the younger generation is a sense of looking at my generation and saying, you know, we can see you guys are working hard and that's great, but we don't think that you've left us a world where that same kind of effort will necessarily pay off for us. Uh, we we grew up with the 2008 recession and every other problem and climate change and so on. So you guys are not exactly crushing it in terms of the world you're leaving to us. So we're going to kind of figure it out ourselves. I applaud that. I get it. I'm completely on board with that. And so I think that there's a, a natural receptiveness to the idea of life balance and so on. But I think they don't always know what that looks like or how to get there. And that's where I come in. And I, and I like that you mentioned that because sometimes we feel like, oh, like obviously y'all have missed the mark, but y'all haven't missed the mark. Y'all have laid a blueprint for us, but it's up for us to say, okay, does this blueprint still work in today's current environment? And if not, what can we take from this foundation and pair it with some of the newness like AI, um, RPA, robotic processing automation, new way of thinking, then factoring climate change, social change, and et cetera, and just mirroring the two together. I think there needs to be synergies between what y'all have done and where we are now and mesh it together and find that sweet spot. But I don't, I think if we want to do it our own way and go on this uncharted path and not look at the blueprint of what's there, then we're also missing the mark too. And me personally speaking, because they like to call me an old soul at work, we definitely need to have that collaboration and synergies because there's things that we need from y'all, just like there's things that y'all need from us in order for us to really continue to build out the pipeline. Yeah, that really sounds right to me. And let me bounce this off of you as well. Um, I I talked to a law professor friend of mine who said uh, that, you know, there is this, it's almost a kind of rebelliousness uh, among the students uh, along the lines that I mentioned. Um, and, and sometimes there's a tendency to reject everything that they're hearing. And I think what I'm going to tell the students is um, it's it's fine to kind of question and, and be... Um, uh, cynical is not the right word, but just sort of uh, mindful about whether to take in every message of the sort of overall structure of, of what you're being taught. But don't throw out the skill set that, that you're being taught, because in, in any job, certainly including law, there are just certain things you've got to learn how to do or you're not going to be very good at your job. Now, if you take those skills and you want to go do community service and, and pro bono work and everything, that's fantastic. Reshape the society. That's great. But you still have to know how to study cases, how to write a brief, how to argue in court. So don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I would add to that from the millennial standpoint is I would ask this question. Can you have a home or apartment without a foundation? No. Can you have a home or apartment without, you know, the two by fours, the four by fours, the steel casing or et cetera? So you can't really 
understand and practice law without the foundational principles. What I'm sharing with you are the foundational principles, how you interpret them and how you use them in your practice is what's going to be what sets you up for success. But you cannot win your case. You cannot argue your case without really understanding the groundwork behind it. Why, why are certain things being done? Why you have to documentate things? Why you have to have certain legalities? Why you have to speak certain things? Why you have to have black and white? So if we live in this amazing, this amazing house, or we drive this amazing sports car or this car that we love, you can't drive the car without having a credible engine. You can't live in the house without having a sturdy foundation because if not, you're going to be like three little pigs. We're going to huff and huff and blow your house down. So you have to have the bones there. And the bones is what I'm trying to give you foundational wise based on my experience in the field. Now, what you do with the knowledge that I'm giving you is up to you, but how you dissect it is it's also up to you, but I'm here for us to have an intersection, to have those, those questions and also know the why. I would always ask, what's the why behind you feeling and thinking the way you do? Love it. Very, very well said. And, you know, for, for lawyers, a lot of that foundation is just building this skill set that really is a challenge. Um, and it's not easy. And it's easy to get to this place of, you know, this is just too hard. This is bogus. I don't need to, you know, be spending my, my days doing all this. And um, you really have to get that foundation of the skill set. Then you can kind of incorporate that into whatever life you want to build. Um, I tell a story in the book. It's one of my favorites. Uh, there was the 1666 London fire. And uh, Christopher Wren rebuilt much of London, including St. Paul's Cathedral. And he was walking around um, anonymously and talking to some of the workers and asking what they were doing. And one worker said, I'm building a staircase. And another one said, I'm putting in a stained glass window. And the third one said, uh, not knowing who he was, I'm helping Mr. Christopher Wren build a beautiful cathedral. And I, I always try to go to that place of what's the cathedral that we're building? We might be working on the tile or the staircase or the stained glass, but what we're really doing is building a beautiful cathedral of our family life, our community life, helping the nation, however you see fit. Um, but first of all, you have to learn that skill so you can contribute in the way you've chosen. And that's amazing. And that's a beautiful segue to the call of action. So what is your call of action for the audience today? Because what good is hearing this subject, these gems, if they're not going to take what they heard and apply it? Good. So I'm really doing my best to kind of build a community of people that um, uh, can absorb these concepts, can help me refine them. I'm certainly, I want to have a beginner's mind when it comes to these things uh, and be open to continued learning. But I'd love to connect with people at charlespriceesquire.com. Would love to see their reaction to my book, Rewiring the White Collar Mind. Um, and I just, I love coaching people. I love having this kind of conversation. This is just, uh, what, a, what a great way to end the week for me. This is just a real privilege for me. And thank you so much, Charles, for just sharing your holding space and just sharing your knowledge with me during this short segment. Audience, make sure you tap in with Charles. All of his contact information will be in the show notes and rewire your mind. No matter if you're a lawyer or not, this book has the foundational principles that you need in all areas and let Charles know what you like, what you don't like, because I always say feedback is a gift. And for me too. 
Um, my big ask is to, for brand sponsors because it does take monetary resources to fuel the mission and movement. And also make sure you like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast. We're on 40 plus audio platforms and the video to this segment could be found on our YouTube channel. So until next time, next guest, I want to say peace, love, and lots of blessings and love yourself, believe in yourself, and never second guess who you are because the minute that you second guess who you are is the minute that someone else is going to try to assume the insecurities that you have to make it securities for them. So have an amazing day.